Chapter 12 I was in and out of sleep all night. No matter what position I shimmied into, I couldn't get comfortable. I was glad when the sun came up and the struggle was over. For breakfast, we ate tasty cake snowballs and funyuns and washed it all down with sunny delight. The rain had let up, and there were even a few patches of blue sky between the clouds and looming trees. Melting peeps hung from the trees like the snot from some Dr. Seuss creation. Kalia spread out the shower curtain on the hood of the car. I was no longer enthralled by it, as I'd been under the influence of the spiked shampoo, but my mind seemed to be sticky with the residue of that experience, because I still found the curtain uncommonly beautiful, even though the design was incredibly busy. I counted eight different patterns on it. Some of the patterns I learned the names for later. There was paisley argyle plaid pink polka dots damask houndstooth greek key herringbone. You have to follow the pain in any war you enter, Kalia said. If you don't in a memory whorl, you won't see the memory faithfully, and you'll leave a corruption of yourself behind. If you don't in a skill whorl, you won't be able to ride the ghost, and you'll leave a corruption behind. How do I follow pain? With your body. With your mind. Inside a whorl, if you move your body and you feel less pain, that's bad. If you think something and you feel less pain, that's bad. You have to ride the pain like a wave. A lot of Mobiak shakas use a form of Taekwondo to stay in the pain. But you're going to use a technique developed by Michael Chekhov. You heard of him? No. He started out teaching Mobiak shakas how to ride the ghost. Then he adapted that training for acting and became one of the most famous acting coaches in history. His technique's a lot easier to learn than Taekwondo. It's all about facial and body poses called psychological gestures. Each one has a name. Some names are broad, like hatred, disgust, love, and envy. Others are more specific, like hopeful eating, wound fetishizing, and misunderstood request. There are too many to memorize off the bat, but as long as you remember a score of the foundation gestures, you'll be able to muddle your way through one of my whorls. Why don't you just project whatever whorl this shower curtain is tied to? Because we would miss the context that way. You wouldn't know what I was thinking or feeling at the time. While she modeled the foundation gestures and expressions for me on the side of the road, only one car drove by, and they looked appropriately bewildered. After practicing for maybe 30 minutes, Kalia stopped me and said, Okay, good enough. Time to graft. Touch the shower curtain. Smell it. Remember you have to capture its essence subconsciously to graft to it. I ironed circles into the shower curtain with my palms, feeling the coarse cold nylon against my skin, and I unfocused my thoughts and began grafting, reciting the Pictionary poems I was becoming oddly proud of, Gemstone Sangria, Afternoon Wolf Yawn, Porcelain Mascarpone. Kalia squeezed a drop of shampoo bloom onto my hand as I continued grafting, whispering the words aloud, Bolo tie sunset, long shadow crepe skin, kelp forest cow skull. The voices began in my head and body, then spread through the air. I could see them, clouds of glowing seeds now. They landed in clusters. Each seed bloomed into a unique flower. Each flower became a tile in the three-dimensional mosaic that surrounded me. Then the seams between the flowers closed, and I was in a different time, a different place. I sat on a love seat next to a woman I'd never seen before but recognized. 
It was Diane, Kalia's previous bond, the one who'd been murdered. She was middle-aged, petite, with a boy's haircut, and she wore black jeans and a holy t-shirt. A young woman in a fleece robe sat across from us on a cushioned chair and gently rocked as she sewed a large patch onto the quilt in her lap. The pattern on the patch matched one of the patterns on the shower curtain. The woman had bangs and big cheeks that made her eyes look small. A small quilt hung on one wall next to a painting of the woman lying on a daybed in a satin robe with her hair curled and done up. Against another wall was a large cabinet with glass doors like a humidor. Its shelves were stacked with folded quilts. Beside it, closest to me, was a rack of maybe 20 ribbons, blue, red, yellow, awards for first through third place in quilting competitions. The Price is Right played on the TV, muted. There were no brad corruptions in this whorl. The woman stopped sewing, raised one finger and waved it around like a conductor's baton as she said, and she's modeling that behavior for her children. That's what gets me. Is this why you called us? Diane said. While they talked I made a few foundation gestures, interest, shock, concern, and didn't feel pain until I tried skepticism. Moving with the pain, I rested my hands in my lap and endured. Diane and the woman paid no attention to what I was doing. Oh no, the woman said, I called you about the Humboldt Historical Society. I recently started doing volunteer work there. That's nice of you, Diane said and I somehow knew that the comment was really intended for me as a sort of inside joke. The thought lessened the pain somewhat. Afraid of corrupting the whorl, I put it out of my mind. The woman tilted her head. Oh, I always volunteer when the community needs me. That's just who I am. And the Humboldt Historical Society needs all the help they can get right now. They actually offered me a full-time position, which I accepted. I don't need the money, but I should get some compensation for my time after all. They're sponsoring an extremely ambitious series of events to commemorate the 64 flood. I didn't realize how ambitious until I volunteered. The events are going to span an entire week and culminate in a huge celebration in Rio del. They've contracted artists from all over to create 64 flood-themed exhibits. They're renting out all the galleries in the county just about. And they're just finishing a documentary, which is going to play in all the theaters. I knew the Humboldt Historical Society well. I used to take tourists to the little museum there, and the tourists would buy calendars that had different old logging photos for each month. I didn't remember ever seeing Cheryl there. She must have been a fairly recent new hire. Words came out of me in painful spurts while I struggled to maintain my foundation gesture. That sounds really nice. What's the problem? The woman's eyes got big. The problem is, where is all the money coming from? The Humboldt Historical Society doesn't have that kind of funds. Maybe they've been saving up, Diane said. The woman showed us her best patronizing smile and shook her head. Please. They're a non-profit. They can't save money they don't have. They're stealing it. From people. From Barons. Did you know Brad is the chairman there? That was my first clue. He couldn't run a lawnmower, let alone a non-profit. So I kept my eyes open, and guess what I found? She set aside her quilt, opened the top drawer of the end table on her right, pulled out a file, and tossed it onto the coffee table. 
That's a photocopy of a donation ledger I found lying around one day. Diane snorted as she picked it up and said, This was just lying around, huh? The woman ignored Diane's implication. There are hundreds of names in there, and not one of them belongs to a Mobiac. I checked. Not unless there was a recent migration that I haven't heard about. Those people are donating money, lots of money and time and art and expertise. This is unheard of in the nonprofit world. Trust me. After a cursory examination of the file, Diane handed it to me. In it were names, addresses, phone numbers, and amounts donated. On the top corner of the first page was a handwritten note which had clearly been a post-it note before being photocopied. It read, For the Memorist. Who is the Memorist? I said. That's what I'd like to know, the woman said. I can't remember the last person at our lodge who used memoirs as a grafting technique. But that's not the most curious part. They are doing the events this winter. I repeat, this winter. All of this money and effort and concentration of creative talent are being assembled to commemorate the 49th anniversary of the flood. Not the 50th. They can't wait one more year? It doesn't make sense. As I turned the pages and perused the names in the file, my bracelet, Kalia's opal bracelet that she always wore, kept grabbing my attention, and before I could stop myself, I had grafted to it. I didn't even know I had done it until Kalia's memories began flooding in. I learned that the opal bracelet, in one form or another, had been passed down to the Shanika of her line for hundreds of years. It was a title, an honor, which had been intended for her older sister. Kalia's parents had always favored her older sister, taking her on trips to events to seminars, enrolling her in whatever activities sports she was interested in, supporting her in those activities, while Kalia and her brother were left at home with their grandmother who raised them. Kalia and Hugo watched the love their older sister received and were jealous, and when their older sister was killed in a car accident, Kalia was ashamed that after her initial grief, she felt excitement, because she knew that she would now be the next Shanika of her line, and her parents would have to pay attention to her. But that never happened. If anything, her parents treated her and Hugo worse, as if they blamed them for their own sister's death. Kalia's preparation to become the next Shanika of their line was left to her grandmother, and when the time came for her to inherit the title, her parents refused to give her the bracelet. They had buried it with her sister. Furious, Kalia brought the matter before the Nabobri, and with their authority, and her grandmother and brother by her side during a painful and ugly scene at the cemetery, she exhumed her sister's body, claimed the bracelet for her line, and severed all ties with her parents. I was jarred from these memories and awoken back to the moment by a mooing coming from the kitchen. Diane and the woman paid no attention to it. I stood, fleeing the pain I'd worked to find and went to the kitchen. A cow was in there, covered in roiling blue skrill that spread across the floor and over the stove, counters and walls. Then the world dissolved, and I was back in the forest on the side of the road. Well? Kalia said. I described the whorl and everything that had happened in it. She gave the ground an angry look. Good old Cheryl, a busybody, always reporting somebody for something. I never suspected her. Diane and Hugo offered to look into that together, to spare me from dealing with my crazy ex. But it was a setup. 
Diane was murdered the next day, and my brother disappeared. When I felt Diane's death inside me, I went to Cheryl's house to confront her, but my cackle was already spreading so much, I don't remember anything about it. I blacked out in her driveway. What's with all this flood crap anyway? That lady at the hamburger place. What does a 49-year-old flood have to do with any of this? I told Kalia about how the sudden surge of interest in the old flood had nearly saved my business, how I'd changed my whole tour to meet the new demand. She shook her head. Strange. And why did your ancestors want you to see that interview with Cheryl? I remember it. Nothing about it jumps out as useful. There could be something I forgot or didn't notice that you could find later in the whorl, but if I give you more bloom to keep you in longer and the Rakula comes again, we're screwed. You have to get better at following the pain. I practiced foundation gestures for another 20 minutes before grafting to the shower curtain again. Kalia gave me the same amount of bloom in case I summoned the Rakulak again. If I managed to make it through without corrupting, then we'd try a heavier dose. But this time, instead of a living room, the voices formed a narrow storage room filled with boxes of ground coffee, creamer, soda syrup, indigo cups and lids in plastic sleeves. Fluorescent light shined down from a drop ceiling. In Kalia's body, I stood beside her brother, Hugo, who towered over me. He wore a vest and jeans, looking even thinner without the mumu to hide his build. His large, bony hands rested backward on his waist. A shorter man stood in front of us. He had a crew cut, and there was an unsettling vacancy to his eyes that didn't match his chipper smile. He wore the polo shirt that all Chevron gas station employees wore. I made my foundation gestures, found the pain, and followed it, endured it as best I could, ignoring thoughts and movements that provided relief. The Chevron employee held out a burnt orange pill bottle, like the ones used for prescription drugs, only the label had been torn off this one. He spoke in a Northern European accent, with an almost robotic rhythm and tone. There are two pills in this container, one for each of you. If you want to know what happened to your missing fellows, you must, ingest. Yes? You must ingest one of these pills. If you have the urgings to be clever and involve others in your quest, I will know, and you shall never see your missing fellows or me again. Hugo took the pill bottle from the man's outstretched hand. A strong feeling of disgust overwhelmed me, and it felt good. I struggled not to indulge it, to keep following the pain of the whorl. Then a cow appeared behind the creepy guy, and blue skrill sprouted from it and spread up the walls. And the whorl faded away. Did the Rakula come again? Kalia said. Yeah, but it was a different place. She started to speak, then stopped and looked at the shower curtain with close to the same awe as I had the night before. It's a totem for multiple whorls. I've heard of those but never seen one. The furrow between her eyebrows deepened as I described the new whorl to her. When I was done, she said, That's Eric Olson, the worst mummer this area's ever known. He's taken seven Mobiacs from our lodge. He's the reason I was elected marshal. The members had lost patience with my predecessor. Before all this happened, I was very close to catching the monster. We had those pills analyzed. Not even a halamite could detect what was in them, which made sense. He'd eluded our best halamites for years. We couldn't figure out how. 
We considered invisibility for a while, a long-lost Mobiac magic, but we couldn't find any evidence of that. There's a lot of wilderness to hide in out here. Who knows? But I swear I was, I am so close. I found his origin personalities. Maybe he's part of this. I doubt it. No. His personalities are too narcissistic. He wouldn't follow anyone's lead, let alone a Mobiac. And an Oshara. Like the Memorist? No way. Kalia checked her phone, clenched her jaw, invisibly swallowed. Anyway, doesn't matter. Let's get out of here. Doesn't look like the monk's going to show. As she folded up the shower curtain, I said, One more try. I can make it farther. I'm getting better. No, we've waited for the monk as long as we can. We're out of time now. She opened the car door, tossed the folded shower curtain totem in the back, and sat in the driver's seat. Out of time for what? I lied to you about something, she said, and shut the door. 